Today's Fat Girl Podcast is sponsored by NBA.com. Looking for a four-day work week, great benefits, an employee discount, and a generous sign-on bonus? We're looking for a veterinarian at the Animal Hospital on the Golden Strip of Williamsport, Pennsylvania to join our fast-paced and growing team. Plus, a retention bonus and relocation assistance is available too. Visit careers at nva.com to learn more. In this Fat Girl Podcast, we review canine anaphylaxis. These cases present to our veterinary facilities with varying clinical signs, but one thing they have in common is their urgency, which requires quick thinking, sometimes rushed discussions with owners, and quick medical intervention. Today, we're looking at a retrospective study entitled Mortality Rate and Prognostic Factors for Dogs with Severe Anaphylaxis, 67 Cases, from 2016 to 2018. This study focused on the more severe presentation of canine anaphylaxis. Studies conducted prior to this one in cats showed that their overall mortality rate was about 13%, whereas a study in dogs showed a 0% mortality rate. That canine study likely missed some of our more severe cases of canine anaphylaxis. And although we often don't lose these patients, I can't say my personal experience is a 0% mortality rate. So I'm glad to see this article that came out in the Journal of American Veterinary Medical Association in 2020, specifically looking at these more severe cases to determine if there's any prognostic factors in this subset of canine anaphylaxis and what the mortality rates are like for this particular group. The The condition we call anaphylaxis can sometimes be confused in name with an allergic reaction. But with anaphylaxis, we're talking about the more severe clinical signs beyond hives and puffy faces. In anaphylaxis, we often see gastrointestinal side effects like vomiting and diarrhea, cardiovascular impairments such as cardiovascular decompensation and shock, and respiratory failure on top of cutaneous signs such as urticaria. Unfortunately, there's no direct test to give us a diagnosis of anaphylaxis, so we're left with things like patient history and clinical signs to help us come up with this diagnosis. The article we review today looks at a subset of patients, again, with severe forms of anaphylaxis. And the purpose of this retrospective study was to evaluate the subset of severe canine anaphylaxis to determine a representative mortality rate for this subset, and again, to look for any prognostic factors that can help us with case management and client communications for this condition. Clinical signs commonly seen with anaphylaxis are the result of disruptions within four main body systems. Again, gastrointestinal, cardiovascular, respiratory, and cutaneous. Disruptions in these body systems stem from the hallmark hepatic arterial vasodilation and concurrent hepatic venous outflow obstruction in anaphylaxis that's caused by release of vasoactive mediators, the most well-known being histamine. So by increasing blood flow to the liver, but preventing outflow of blood from the liver, the result is liver damage in the form of hepatocellular necrosis portal hypertension, cardiovascular collapse, and multi-organ dysfunction. Medical records from private specialty hospitals and a university teaching hospital were retrospectively reviewed to evaluate cases of canine anaphylaxis, anaphylactic shock, and allergic reactions. The authors only included records in the study that documented a peri-acute onset of clinical signs, involvement of two of the four body systems we described earlier, and other diagnostic findings supportive of anaphylaxis, such as ultrasonographic findings of gallbladder wall edema or abdominal effusion. 
Since there are no cookie-cutter classic signs of anaphylaxis present in all cases, we need to be aware of some of the polar opposite differences in clinical signs that we can be presented with. Patients can present with either bradycardia, described in this study as heart rates less than 60 beats per minute, or tachycardia, described in this study as heart rate greater than 150 beats per minute. And likewise, respiratory rates could present as tachypneic or bradypneic, described in this study as greater than 35 breaths per minute or less than 10 breaths per minute, respectively. Authors assign severity grades to cases of canine anaphylaxis as grade zero if only cutaneous signs were seen, grade one if there were cutaneous signs and abdominal signs like vomiting or diarrhea or both, grade two if there were cutaneous signs with persistent GI signs and or evidence of cardiovascular dysfunction or respiratory compromise, and grade three if there were signs of cardiovascular decompensation or respiratory failure. Authors then selected only the grade three cases for review in this study. Additional inclusion criteria included patients being admitted within 12 hours of clinical signs and patients receiving biochemical analysis and hematocrit results at hospital admission. If patients were found to have any other concurrent health conditions that can contribute or explain the clinical signs being attributed to anaphylaxis, these cases were excluded from this study. Included cases were then grouped as non-survivors and survivors and reviewed in greater detail for any differences between those that survived and those that did not survive. Non-survivors were patients that either died of natural causes or were euthanized due to progression of disease. It's important to note that the authors excluded any cases where euthanasia was related to extraneous non-health circumstances. I'm assuming this means things such as financial constraints. This makes our data more representative of the disease. In total, 67 dogs were included in this study, 29 males and 38 females with a mean age of approximately four years of age. Signalment, age, and sex did not appear to have any correlation with survival. All patients exhibited clinical signs of cardiac compromise. 94% of patients showed GI signs, 67% of patients exhibited respiratory signs, and almost 27% of patients had cutaneous signs. The authors did find a correlation between body temperature and survival, with lower body temperatures carrying a poorer prognosis. Lower body temperatures were thought to occur from histamine peripheral vasodilatory effects and eventual cardiac decompensation or shock. The median temperature in the non-survival group was 97.5 degrees Fahrenheit, or 36.3 degrees Celsius, and the median body temperature in the survival group was 99.9 degrees Fahrenheit, or 37.7 degrees Celsius. Across survivors and non-survivors, the authors found that the occurrence of hypotension to be almost 67%, normotension to be 27%, and hypertension to be 6%. Blood pressure and time from onset of clinical signs to hospital admission did not appear to have any correlation with survival. White blood cell count, hematocrit, and platelet levels were not found to correlate with survival. There were some biochemical abnormalities noted to have correlation with survival, including blood sugar and phosphorus levels. 
Across both groups, most dogs, 94%, had an elevated ALT, but ALT levels didn't show a correlation with survivability. Serum phosphorus was found to be higher in the non-survival group with a mean of 10.1 mg per deciliter compared to a mean of 5.9 mg per deciliter in the survival group. Proposed mechanisms of hyperphosphatemia in anaphylaxis included release of intracellular components from hepatocellular necrosis and or from rhabdomyolysis, where CK levels were not evaluated thoroughly in this study, but suggested to have a correlation. The authors concluded that patients with serum phosphorus concentrations greater than 12 mg per deciliter were almost 80 times more likely to die as patients with lower values in serum phosphorus concentrations. Hypoglycemia, defined as a value less than 80 mg per deciliter in this study, had a significant association with mortality, but only if the hypoglycemia was refractory to glucose supplementation. So when a patient requires dextrose supplementation with their trigger point of a blood glucose less than or equal to 68 mg per deciliter in this study, this was significantly associated with eventual mortality. Hypoglycemic patients that responded to glucose boluses and constant rate infusions and eventually normalized had a better survival than those that remained refractory to supplementation. Mechanisms behind hypoglycemia in anaphylaxis are poorly understood, but plausible reasons could include impaired hepatic production, impaired mobilization, bacterial translocation from compromised gastrointestinal mucosal barriers, or increased cellular utilization. Lastly, authors looked at the coagulation panel for correlation with mortality. Although most patients in both groups had some degree of elevation in PT or PTT or both, the only factor that was correlated to mortality was a PT value greater than 50% above the reference range. The authors concluded that patients were 11 times more likely to die if their PT values were greater than 50% above the reference range limit. This finding highlights the importance of quantifying our PT and PTT elevations and not just reporting them as abnormal or outside reference intervals. A common way to quantify PT, PTT elevations is to take your patient's value, subtract the high end of the test reference range value, divide this resulting number by the high end of the test reference range value, and then multiply this number by 100 to produce your percentage increase above normal. Gallbladder wall edema, also known as a gallbladder halo sign, is a common finding previously reported in anaphylaxis and is thought to be the result of either hepatic venous congestion or portal hypertension or inflammation from cytokine release. The exact mechanism still isn't fully understood. This study found that of the patients that received abdominal ultrasound at hospital admission, 84.5% were found to have gallbladder edema and 65.5% had abdominal effusion. The effusions were most commonly a hemorrhagic effusion in 84% or a modified transudate with hemorrhage. Development of abdominal effusion may occur through vascular leakage due to massive cytokine release or could be associated with coagulopathy or leakage from portal hypertension. Neither gallbladder appearance nor the presence of abdominal effusion proved to carry a prognostic value. So what about treatment? Epinephrine is a vital medical therapy for anaphylaxis to help counter the extreme vasodilatory effects of vasoactive mediator release, in other words, histamine. 
patients treated with epinephrine first received a bolus of 0.1 to 0.2 mg per kg intramuscularly or intravenously, and then were treated with either repeated boluses as needed or with a constant rate infusion ranging from 0.05 to 0.1 mics per kg per minute. No prognostic information was provided regarding overall doses of epinephrine required in correlation with survival. This study found the overall mortality rate for dogs with severe anaphylaxis to be 14.9%, or 10 out of 67 dogs, compared to a prior study that had reported a 100% survival rate for dogs presenting with anaphylaxis. However, that study only included cases that resolved within 72 hours after admission, which may have selected for a less severely afflicted population. Since anaphylaxis can present with such critical and rapidly changing body system derangements, it's important for the clinician to be able to advise pet owners on how to proceed with medical care, including information such as length of hospitalization and monetary investments weighed against the chance for survival. We can now say that odds are fairly good for severe anaphylaxis cases to survive with appropriate and immediate medical treatments. However, this study did not report on how long cases were hospitalized for, so this may open the door for a follow-up study. The biggest limitation of this study is that there was no definitive test to confirm a diagnosis of anaphylaxis. We rely so heavily on patient information or history as opposed to specific directed testing, which leaves room for error, both with underreporting and overreporting this condition. Another limitation is the use of euthanasia as an endpoint for the study. There are client factors that can influence the decision to euthanize that may not be reflective of the disease progression. However, it's good to see in the study that the authors excluded causes for euthanasia that were known to be reasons outside of disease progression. So the effect of client influence on euthanasia is hopefully minimal. So... What do we take away from this Fecal podcast? Dogs with severe anaphylaxis were found to have an 85.1% survival rate. Coagulopathy, gallbladder wall edema, and abdominal effusions are a relatively common occurrence in canine anaphylaxis. Serum phosphorus levels greater than 12 mg per deciliter, refractory hypoglycemia unresponsive to treatment, and prothrombin prolongation greater than 50% are correlated with a decreased chance of survival. That said, as a criticalist, one in doubt, try to save these guys. <laughs>